Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Celebration Sunday. Let's give the Lord another hand for that amazing offering. You know, um, as staggering as that number is to you, and, and it should be, it is even uh, times 10 staggering to me because I've got a little bit different context. You need to understand, there were years where our entire yearly budget was less than 100000 Mike, am I lying? No. And, and so it just, it just I, it's like surreal. I, we, Sue and I, like, we're constantly picking our jaws up off the ground. This is just an amazing thing. But here, here, here's what's so neat about it. Like Kyle said, it is an indicator of, of discipleship that, that, yeah, you know, at, at least some of you are getting that. You understand that, that, that a big part of being a, a follower of Jesus is, is being generous and, and learning to give, even sacrificially. Uh, but I want you to know it's an encouragement to me as a pastor um, because it just kind of puts an exclamation mark. Look, if you've been coming here for very long at all, you know God's doing something special here. He really is. And, 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 and this, this, this legacy offering just kind of puts an exclamation mark on that, that point, that, that, that God is doing something special here. But she, it should be an encouragement to you as well because we have asked you to pray about this, about, about a bigger facility here, about launching in Baldwin. We've asked you to pray about that, and hopefully you have. And, and, and look what your prayers did. Isn't that amazing? That should be an encouragement to you. So give yourselves a hand for your willingness to be generous as well. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for your generosity. And as we are inclined to say here at Family Church, the best is, finish it with me, yet to come. So thank you again for your generosity. Um, anyone else's hands or fingers hurt as you were watching that intro video? Was that just me? All right. Uh, I, I like that intro uh, video because uh, it does a great job of, of giving us an emotional snapshot of the effects of the subject that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, and that topic is grudge or the grudge, or more specifically, what happens when we hold a grudge or take up an offense? You watch that video and you're thinking, why? Why are you holding a bunch of thumbtacks? Why are you holding a cactus? Why, why are you holding that burning piece of coal or that barbed wire? Who does that? Well, I'll tell you who does that. You do that, and I do that, anytime we hold a grudge or take up an offense. And I'm watching that video, and you, you just want to say, just, just, just drop it. Just let it go. Don't hold on to that. Just, just, just let it go which is the title of this message, by the way, just let it go. I thought about asking Sam if we could include the Frozen song as part of our worship set list this morning. Let it go, let it go. Ah, if only it were that simple. We're going to talk more about this next week, but people who hold grudges don't realize the pain and damage being done while they're holding on to that grudge. So real quick, here's the direction we're going to be going over these next few weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about the faith to forgive, how to get the faith to forgive. We're going to talk about what to do when we've been betrayed. How do we have the faith to forgive something or someone who hurt us so so deeply? 
We're going to talk about how to reconcile with God and, and let go of an offense or, or a grudge. And probably most importantly, we're going to talk about forgiving yourself. In a couple of weeks, Kyle's going to share on the topic of forgiving yourself. See, it's one thing to recognize the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, but sometimes the guilt and shame of our sins and failures cast a dark shadow over our lives that we can't seem to crawl out from under, which makes it hard to let go of those past sin and failures and offenses. So I want to begin our new series this morning with a question. How many of you would say that you know someone who can be easily offended? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Go ahead. You don't have to point at them. You don't have to elbow them if they're sitting next to you. Right? Right. If you don't know someone who's easily offended, chances are you're not on social media because I'm telling you, it's a jungle out there. It is a jungle out there. Everyone seems to be offended by something or someone. And the thing is, none of us are above this. We all at times get tripped up over offenses. And what's worse is sometimes these offenses can be over the smallest or otherwise insignificant things. You ever think about that? But no offense, you think about this, no offense is small when, it's, when you're the one that's offended, right? There are no small offenses when you're the one that was offended. That's just kind of how it is. But what is it for you? What's your offense trigger? Is it when your teenager rolls their eyes at you? Is it a certain tone of voice that your spouse uses with you sometimes? Maybe someone forgets to say thank you for something that you did for them? Now, for me, the time that I'm most likely to take up an offense is when I'm out driving. And the interesting thing is it didn't used to be that. I, I don't know what's happened to me. Maybe there is something to that, that, you know, cantankerous old man syndrome. Get off my lawn, you know. Uh, because I didn't used to be like this. But now for some reason, I get offended uh, pretty easily by all those idiot, I mean, all those uh, uh, unlaw-abiding citizens out there. Right? And, and the two that really set me off, number one, are left lane cruisers. And you know who you are. You don't cruise in the left lane. It's for passing. It's for passing. So get over. All right? And the other one is last second mergers. And you know who you are too. You've known for two miles you had to get over. But no. You wait till that last quarter mile and try and squeeze in. And when you do that, you know what happens? It causes all of us law-abiding citizens to have to slam on the brake. And then there we go, bam, 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 all the way back up the line. Anytime that happens, I, I told, there, there's a, there's a last-second merger right there. That's why we're doing this, right? That's why I'm on a mission, to rid the world of left-lane cruisers and last-second mergers. So just a heads up, if you're a last-second merger, if you're one of those people who wait till the last second to merge and you pull up next to me wanting to merge, uh-uh. Sorry, buddy. It ain't going to happen. No. Nope. See, that's when I channel my inner Dale Earnhardt. And I start drafting off the car in front of me. I ain't going to let them in. No, no. You've known for two miles, huh? Sorry, buddy. And this is about the time that Sue begins to slump in her seat and starts praying in tongues. It's like the Christmas vacation where Clark inadvertently veers over underneath the tanker truck. And Helen starts praying, O oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and forgive my husband, he knows not what he does. <laughs> Suffice to say, Sue does not share my passion to rid the world of idiot drivers. 
she would rather I practice what I preach, <laughs> which is to let it go, right? Like the time we were at Costco looking for a parking place. And when I spotted one and turned on my blinker, and everyone knows parking lot etiquette, you turn on your blinker, that's your spot. You're the first one to turn on your blinker, that is my spot. But sometimes if you're coming this way and the car backs out like that, and there's a car coming from the other way, and that car sneaks in there, right? So um, I, uh, I slowed down and just stopped temporarily behind the guy who stole my parking space, gave him the stink eye, and then that's when my wife says, just let it go, pastor. <laughs> See, just let it go. That's when she sticks the knife in. Just let it go, pastor. <clears throat> I hate it when she does that. I know it's silly, and in the eternal scheme of things, it's no big deal. But what is it that gets your goat? What is it that sets you off? We all have something or some things that upset us. And isn't it interesting that sometimes the, thing that, that, the things that get us so upset are things that really don't matter all that much in the eternal scheme of things? I was talking to someone once who was offended because someone they sent a text to didn't respond till the next day. And as they're telling me this, I'm standing there thinking, was that to me? Because I'm bad. I'll own it. I, I'm bad about that. Just last week. Kyle said, Dad, I sent you two texts and an email this morning. I haven't heard anything back from you, right? Now, look, I, I would never intentionally want to offend someone by, by not responding. I'm, you know, I get busy. You know, I, I don't, I'm not intentionally trying to, you know, disregard someone. But, but you know, sometimes that's kind of, you know, how we get sometimes, right? Or how about those times where you send someone a text and then you see that the person read the text because the bubbles are forming in the little cloud there? So you know they read the text, and, and you know that, you know, okay, so you're sitting there waiting for them to respond because you see the bubbles in the cloud. So you know that they're, you know, they're going to get back with me, but then you wait and you wait and you wait, and then well, what, what, what's with this? First they bubble me, then they ghost me. You know? that, well, that's not right, right? I, how dare you do that? I am so offended that someone would do that. We live in an age a perpetual offense, quick to be offended, quick to judge, quick to become bitter. And here's the deal. If you are on a continuous search to be offended, you're always going to find what you're looking for. You will. But here's what you need to know. There is never, ever a win in living offended. Never. Oh, I feel so much better now that I got offended at them. Said no one ever. Oh, I feel so much closer to God that I, after I got offended like that, right? No one ever got closer to God taking up an offense. That's why we would be much better served telling ourselves over and over and over something that I hope that you'll internalize and tell yourself, and that is this, and this is our big idea for this morning's message. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. Your calling from God is to love in this world, right? Don't get sidetracked by taking up an offense. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, put it, <coughs> excuse me, put it this way. Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to, everyone say this next word with me, <laughs> overlook. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. 
I looked that word overlook up in the Hebrew. And you know what it means? Are you ready for this? Let it go. Seriously. That's it, literally, let it go. Just let it go. As Christians, how do we move past the offenses and grudges that we bump into during the course of life? The answer is we close the gap with love. Again, looking to the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love, here's our word again, covers over all wrongs. The message paraphrase puts it this way. Hatred starts fights, but love pulls a quilt over the bickering. Isn't that interesting? Love just pulls a quilt over the bickering. Note how Solomon exposes the culprit for much of our conflict and bickering, which leads to offenses. It's hatred. It's hatred, which is why the remedy or the antidote, as it were, is the opposite of hatred, which is love. Hatred, hatred looks for a fight and refuses to smooth things over. But love, love desires peace. Love desires peace. Hatred seeks ways to cause trouble, but love looks for ways to forgive. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other deeply because love, and here's our word again, covers over a multitude of sins. Interesting statement by Peter that tells us that love is expressed through the forgiveness of sins. When we forgive someone, we're loving them. That's an act of love in our own personal relationships. We also show love in our forgiveness of others. According to the Apostle Paul, one of, the, one of love's greatest characteristics is that it keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep score. Love forgives. We close the gap with love. What's this gap you're talking about, Pastor? You know, you probably don't notice it, but in every relationship, there's, there's this dynamic that takes place that creates a gap between an action and our reaction. So someone, someone acts, and then there's this, this micro gap, a moment, a split second, where, where you make an interpretive decision based on what that action means. In other words, there's an action, and then there's a gap, and then there's a reaction. Now, the point being, there's always a gap between the action and your reaction. But here's the important part of the equation. We get to choose what to put in the gap. That's our choice. We make that call. We choose what to put in that gap. For example, there's an action where an idiot, I mean uh, an unlawful driver, is speeding up and trying to merge into that single lane of traffic at the last second, even though he's known for two miles that he's supposed to merge. And I won't let him merge. And so he gives me half of the peace sign. And then there's a micro moment. There's a micro moment, an instant where I get to interpret the meaning behind his action and put something in the gap before I respond. We interpret the meaning of the action. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. You, me, we're all horrible interpreters. Here's why. We only know one side of the story. We only know one side of the story. But think about it. How many times has someone misinterpreted the meaning behind your words or your actions, and you thought to yourself, how in the world could they think that about me? How in the world could they have heard that when I made that statement? Or how many times have you misinterpreted the meaning or actions by someone else, and they were like, how did you hear me? I didn't say that. How in the world did you get that out of what I said? Right? You know me better than that. The point being, you, me, we're all horrible interpreters. 
There's actually a name for this. It's called the fundamental attribution error. Doesn't that bless you? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I came to church today to learn about the fundamental attribution error. The bias. I'm gonna, let, me, let me give you the definition. Seriously, this is the definition of the fundamental attribution error. It is the bias to attribute our own behavior to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. We're attributing our own behavior to some external circumstance. In other words, you know, there, there's a reason why I did this. You should know me. You, you should know my heart. You, you know what I'm like. You, you know there must be a good explanation for this, Right? while we attribute someone else's actions to their character, meaning they're, they're just not a great person. Right? In other words, if I did something to disappoint you, there's a reason. Come on, man, give me a break. You, you know me. You know that's not my heart. But if someone else does something to disappoint me, it's very tempting for me to attribute their action to their character. Well, they're just not a good person, or that's very inconsiderate. Or they just need a little bit more of Jesus in their life, something like that, right? Who was it? Stephen Covey, who said, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. Woo, got quiet now, didn't it? Look, even though you might have never heard of the fundamental attribution error, you're very familiar with it because you, me, we all do it more than we realize. You're at the store, Hy-Vee, Price Chopper, Walmart, Target, Sam's, whatever. And you've got your kid with you or some of your kids. And one of your kids didn't get their nap that day because they had, you had a doctor's appointment and it threw the schedule off. And, and your, kid, your kid starts acting up, right? All right? So they're, 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 you know, they're, there's someone else. And it's like, you're just like, you know, hey, it's, you know, give me a break. You know, it's just been a, it's been a difficult day for us, right? But if someone else's kid throws a fit in the store, you're like, well, what kind of irresponsible, lazy deadbeat would raise a demon-possessed kid like that. I never cease to be amazed at how well some parents mind their children. You know, just shame, 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 right? There's always a gap. There's always a gap. But you get to choose what to put in the gap. Proverbs 17.9, whoever would foster love, here's that word again, covers over an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. What does love do? What does love do? It covers. In other words, love gives the benefit of the doubt. That's what that word cover means. It, just means. it gives the benefit of the doubt. Love chooses to believe the best. Love trusts the other person, believes the best in the other person. If Sue says, honey, did you take the trash out? See, the devil wants me to think, well, did she just call me lazy? I mean, all the times that I've taken, and the first time that she has to tell me, that, no, well, it wouldn't be that way. But anyway, did she just call me lazy, right? No, no, I fill that gap with love. It's like, oh, you know what? We had some of the grandkids over. There's probably some dirty diapers in there. So yeah, I probably need to go empty the trash. See, I choose what to put in that gap. I choose what to put in that gap. And that's the point here. Love assumes the best. Here's how the Apostle Paul instructs us on this topic of filling the gap. In Ephesians 4, verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowances. Give the benefit of the doubt. Not because they deserve it, but because of what God did for you. God gave you and God gave me the benefit of the doubt when he sent Jesus. God filled the gap between us and him, the gap caused by sin. Our sin, he chose to fill that gap with love, and that love was his son. It's called grace. 
It's called grace. Because God loves you. Because Jesus forgave you. Because there's grace for you. That's why you need to have grace for others. Make allowances for others because of your love. In other words, someone else's behavior is not all about you. Their bad driving is not all about you. Their bad mood is not all about you. The edge in their voice may not be all about you. They might just be having a bad day. They may be facing a battle of their own. They may have gotten some, some really bad news, like just moments before that. You want others to give you the benefit of the doubt, and so you do the same for them. Why? Because they deserve it? No. No. Because of what God did for you through Christ. God gave us, listen, dear ones, God gave you and he gave me and he gave everyone on this planet the benefit of the doubt when he willingly died on the cross with no guarantee that we would receive that sacrifice. You ever thought about that? He took that step with no guarantee from us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we, turn to the person next to you and say, that's me and that's you. Go ahead, turn to him. That's me and that's you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Literal translation. God gave us the benefit of the doubt. God filled that gap with his son, Jesus. Okay, pastor. But what about those times when people are just plain rude or mean? What do you do then? You're trying to make allowances. You're trying to fill the gap with love. But sometimes people are just just plain mean mean people, and and it's hard to fill that gap with love. And we all know someone like this, don't we? Yeah. What makes it worse is sometimes these mean, rude, hateful people are sitting three rows up and four seats over from you at church on Sunday mornings. People who should know better. That's why it stings so much. Now everyone's looking four seats over and three rows back to see who they offended, right? Seriously, my deepest cuts, and I guarantee you, your deepest cuts, you think about this, probably came from another Christian. And that's why it hurts so much. Because you're like, they should know better than that. I, I, I can't believe this. People in our mind who should have known better. Most of you probably have seen this picture or a variation of it at some time. Some of you might even have one hanging up in your house, a picture of Jesus, the great shepherd standing on a hillside with his shepherd's staff, looking stately, overlooking the flock of sheep. And for the longest time, I always thought that shepherd's staff was to protect the sheep from the wolves and other predators. But then I became a pastor, and I discovered that wasn't the case at all. Jesus didn't use a shepherd's staff to protect the sheep. He used to protect himself from the sheep when they turned on him. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not. Six years of formal education, four years undergraduate, two years in seminary, all those Bible classes, all that knowledge, no one ever told me this important point right here. Sometimes sheep bite. And it hurts. That's why I pray for God to give me eyes in the back of my head so that if I ever do happen to offend you, I'll see your furry little face sneaking up behind me. We live in a day and age people are so easily offended. You've got to be Jackie Chan to pastor in this day and age. So what do you do? 
What do you do when you run into one of those mean-spirited, rude, sometimes even hateful people? Well, the first thing you should do is memorize this line right here. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And this will help bring some context to the situation and hopefully prevent you from responding out of your hurt. Try to remember that if someone's really unnecessarily hateful to you, they're probably going through something that's causing that kind of behavior. Many years ago, we were youth pastors and children's pastors in this, in this church, this very same church. In fact, there was that lot, that vacant lot over there, there was a, the house that was the parsonage, and the church couldn't afford to pay us a salary. But we were right out of Bible school, and so we wanted an opportunity for ministry. So the church said, yeah, we could come here and work with the kids, and that they would let us live in the parsonage. But I had to get a job, and I was bivocational, and that was fine. So I got a job in Lawrence at a factory. Well, there was a, a gentleman that worked at that factory that made life miserable for me. His name was Fred. And Fred, he knew that I was a minister, and he would constantly just give these little digs in every now and then, some sarcastic remark about God, or anytime some other, you know, there was another moral failure among some preacher, he would bring that up to me. And, 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 and I mean, this guy was very, in fact, he actually got into a couple of fist fights. And this is an older guy, too. I mean, I'm just like, what is it with this guy? It's like walking around eggshells. It's like, I didn't even want to go to the break room anymore. You ever know someone like that? You just hate to be around them, you know? Well, one day Fred wasn't at work, so I thought, well, maybe he took a day off. And then two days, three days, Fred's gone. So I, I asked uh, during my break one day, I asked the shop foreman, uh, I said, what's going on with Fred? And he said, well, I said, you need to pray for Fred. Um, his daughter uh, has been in an abusive relationship uh, with, a, with a gentleman who is, is beating her. And he said, unfortunately, that abusive relationship trickled down to uh, that girl's daughter, Fred's granddaughter. And so Fred was going to court to try to get custody of his granddaughter. Wow. Talk about giving context to a situation, right? I mean, I, I, I never looked at Fred the same after that. Was he still a smart aleck? Yeah. Did he still hurt me? Yeah. But you know what? Whenever someone attacks or criticizes me, yeah, it still hurts. It still upsets me. But instead of camping out in that hurt and sting of criticism, I try to remember to give them the benefit of the doubt by asking myself, man, what are they going through that would cause them to act like this? Right. And if it's still a struggle, because it will be. This, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not, look this, is a, this is a tough thing. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This is a tough topic. So what do you do? You know, yeah, I've tried, Pastor, I've tried, but man, you just don't know how deep that cut was. What do I do then? What do I do then? Well, you do a redirect. You say, what's a redirect? I got this from Allie Newhouse uh, this past week. Allie was back for the holiday break, and so Sue and I had lunch with her uptown uh, before she was going back, and, and uh, so she was sharing with us uh, her own personal struggle uh, of, uh, of an offense that where she was deeply, deeply hurt. And uh, she said, you know, one day I'm fine. I, I feel like I'm over it. I feel like I've let it go. And then the next day she would be right back in that dark, you know, just hurtful place. And, you know, she's like, God, I, I don't know what to do here. And, she, and it was just, it was eating her up. And then, then one evening she said, uh, she said, it's like the light came on because she felt like um, as she was praying, the Lord reminded her of something, and Allie's a third grade teacher in case you didn't know, but uh, she felt like the Lord reminded her of something 
that one of her professors said in class one day when she was still going to college. The professor was talking about classroom management, and all of you teachers probably know this, but uh, they were talking about classroom management and uh, talking about uh, one way that you can keep your, uh, your class under control and focused is to do a redirect with four questions. And here are the questions. What are you doing? What are you supposed to be doing? Are you doing that? What are you going to do about it? And so Allie said, bing, the light came on. And in her mind, she heard the Lord say, Allie, what are you doing? Well, Lord, I'm crying, and I'm angry, and I'm hurt, and I'm mad. What are you supposed to be doing, Allie? Well, I'm supposed to be letting go of this and releasing it to you, Lord. Are you doing that, Allie? No. No, Lord, I'm not doing that. Allie, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to let go and let you, God. See, here's the deal. Most of us, when we think about forgiveness, here's how we picture it. Here's how we picture forgiveness playing out. The person who offended us would just miraculously wake up one day and suddenly on their own realize how deeply they hurt us. And then they would, they would come crawling back to us, groveling, apologizing for how deeply they had hurt us, wanting to make things right. Is that how it works? No. I don't think I need to tell you that's probably not going to happen. Here's why. Here's why it doesn't work that way. Forgiveness really isn't about the other person. It's a decision that you make for yourself. A decision to let go of your offenses and grudges and choose freedom and love over anger and bitterness, to choose peace over pain, to choose keeping the relationship instead of keeping score. Holding on to a grudge its like holding on to a cactus. It keeps others away from you and it keeps the pain inside of you. Years ago, I was fishing out at Clinton Lake. It was during the crappie spawn, so it was at one of the upper arms of Clinton Lake. I was with a friend of mine. We were in a little John boat. It's one of those areas where there's submerged trees and then trees growing up out of the water. It was probably 12, 15 feet of water, but we were up there fishing for crappie. And after a little while, another boat with a couple of guys came up about 20 yards from us and tied off to a tree. And uh, at some point, uh, it became obvious that, that uh, the cooler in the center of their boat wasn't holding fish. Uh, it was holding liquid courage. And, and so uh, the, the longer the day went by and the more that they were drinking, uh, at one point, one of the gentlemen stood up to relieve himself, and in the process of doing that, tipped the boat over. Now, they both had life jackets on, but they lost everything. Now, the guy that was with him was, I mean, he was mad. I mean, he was livid. But the other guy that had stood up, when the boat started to tip, he, even though he had a life jacket on, we found out later he didn't know how to swim. That's why he freaked out so much. He lunged for the tree that was closest to him. It was a locust tree. And the scream that he let out when he grabbed onto that tree 
And immediately his friend said, let go, just let go. And me and my friend were starting to row over there. Both of them, let go, just let go. Who does that? Who holds on to some barbed wire? Who holds on to a cactus? Who, who, who handles thumbtacks like that? People who are afraid. People who are motivated by fear. And look, the guy had a life jacket on. Just let go. Just let go. God's, God's trying to throw you a life jacket. But unless you let go, it's not going to help you. Instead of being offended by what someone said or did, pray that God would help you have compassion for them. Not because they deserve it, because they don't. They don't. But because of what God did for you through Christ. What did he do for you? He gave you the benefit of the doubt, just like he gave me the benefit of the doubt. There's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be a gap. But you get to choose what to put in the gap. If you put accusations in the gap, you're always going to be offended. You're always going to be carrying a grudge. He did this, and she said that, and I can't believe, and they should know better, and okay, you want to live there. Can I tell you, dear ones, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to do that. Our calling is too great. The calling ahead of us is greater than the offenses behind you. We'll always have the choice to fill the gap, and according to Solomon, it is in our best interest to just let it go. Just let it go. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the grace that we need to show love in all circumstances when there's a gap. I know that I can be easily offended when, and, and I know that I'm a bad interpreter. So give me wisdom and grace to look to you and not, the distracted, not be distracted by those offenses. Recognizing that my life is too short and my calling is too great to be offended by something small. Help us in our marriages. Help us in our friendships. Help us in our relationships. Even in our online interaction. Help us to close the gap with love in a way that would honor you so others can know the same love that changes us through Jesus. While your heads are bowed, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, or maybe you did at one time, but you're not close to him now for whatever reason, can I tell you, that's exactly why you're here today. Regardless of why you think you're here, in God's sovereignty, he brought you here for this specific moment. So if that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to know your Heavenly Father. Not just know about him, but know him personally. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can do just that. Just, just pray, Lord, I know my life's broken, it's messed up, and I can't fix it because I've tried. So forgive me of my sins, those things that I've done, the things that I've said that have separated me from you and hurt others and hurt me. And help me, Lord, to be open to your love and your plan and purpose for my life. And I choose now to give my life to you and I receive your life in return. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me begin living my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.